Well, good morning, Restoration Church. Good morning, good morning. It's a, it's a joy to be with you all this morning. Uh, thank you, Pastor Nathan and Pastor Joy, for the warm welcome to, to be here to proclaim God's word this morning. I'm excited to be here with you, brothers and sisters, as we seek to look to Jesus together this morning. Amen? Amen. As, as Nathan was mentioning, I'm the pastor at Congress Heights Community Church uh, in Southeast D.C., uh, we planted over a year ago now, uh, so literally this past April we celebrated a year, and uh, we planted out of Anacostia River Church. Um, some of you guys may know about Anacostia River Church, and so planted out of ARC in another predominantly black neighborhood uh, where there are much to celebrate, things to celebrate, but then also challenges, challenges. And so a group of us uh, heeded God's call. Uh, and essentially obeying the Great Commission, where our Lord commands us to go make disciples. And we believe that he had the inner city in mind, uh, where there's a neglect and an overlook as it relates to church planting efforts. We believe that Jesus uh, had the inner city in mind, as well as the nations, as well as all throughout the world. Amen? And so we, by God's grace, planted a year ago. And, um, yeah, we are encouraged to know uh, and there's a need for more, but we're encouraged to know that there's another gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church in a context of great need. Amen? Amen. Thank you all, Restoration, for your prayers. I know you all, you all have been faithfully praying for us, and so we are so grateful uh, for you guys' prayers and your encouragement. So if you have a Bible with that, if you have a Bible, dig into God's Word. Go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 12 if you haven't done so already. So Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to be, verses 1 through 2. And as you turn there, let me, let me offer another word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father, in God, we, Father God, we thank you for uh, this opportunity to uh, be gathered together as your people. And so, God, as you have been preparing uh, me to proclaim your word, to, to preach your word to the people of God, I pray, God, that it will be done for the glory of God and for the advancement of your gospel. God, I pray that you would help us indeed for the believers here to set our eyes on you, to look to you. And for those who may be here who don't know you yet, God, I pray that for the first time they may see you, uh, that you would open their eyes, that you would open their hearts to see you and to know you and desire to uh, live for you. So, God, would you, would you do that, we pray, through the preaching of your word. Be magnified, be pleased, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, reads as follows. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is God's word. Amen? Amen. This is a wonderful passage of scripture, brothers and sisters. A wonderful passage this morning. Because if you're anything like me, you struggle with sin. And you take your eyes off Jesus often. 
In chapters 1 through 11 of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews has been essentially bigging up God's son. He's been bigging him up. He's been giving him the props that only he is due. He tells us about the supremacy of the son in chapter 1, that, that he is superior to all others in authority, rule, power, or status, that he is greater than Moses, that he is the high priest of a better and a greater covenant, that redemption is only found in and through him, and that his sacrifice was greater, and it was better, and that it was sufficient, more sufficient than the blood of goats and bulls, and that it was once and for all, once and for all, and that he is essentially God. He is greater than all, and there is true hope, joy, and peace only found in him. So this morning, Christians, how are you doing with keeping those truths on the forefront of your mind? How are you this morning, beloved, doing with with keeping the truths about Jesus on the forefront of your mind? We're halfway through another year. We're still in a pandemic. And we have had to deal with, I'm sure, I can speak for all of us here, we've had to deal with unexpected challenges throughout this year so far. Distractions. So many different things bombarding us, distracting us. Battles with sin. Struggles with sin. Life can be hard, but God is still good. And I believe our passage this morning is an encouragement to us all as we keep running the race of the faith, that we must run the race of the faith with our eyes continually continually looking upon Christ. So even if you're running with a limp this morning, even if you're, you find yourself crawling this morning, Keep going and keep looking to Jesus as you go. So if you're taking notes, this is going to be the outline of our passage. So point number one, run the race. We'll see that in verse one. Run the race. Point number two, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Let's pick up at point number one, run the race. Look back with me at verse one of chapter 12. It says, therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You see that word, therefore, it's a word meant to to point us back to all that's before it. So in this case, chapter 11, in the the previous chapters, but it's, it's similar to when someone says, in light of this, now, X, Y, and Z. Right. And in this case, the author of Hebrews tells us in the next phrase of the verse, he says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The author, if you look back down, the author includes himself as as one who is surrounded by the cloud of witnesses, as he says in the text, since we are surrounded. The word used here for witnesses is is usually uh, means martyr. But as we see here, so someone who has died for the faith, someone who has lived for Christ and who has died for the faith, 
But as we see here, it seems to mean more of a spectator since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So then who are those witnesses that the author is referring to? It's those mentioned in chapter 11. Uh, this chapter is known as the, the hall of faith, right? Folks like Abraham and Sarah and Moses, and the list goes on and on. They were examples of those who believed God by faith. Those who trusted God. The text says that they are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And, and, and that is meant to express that it's a lot of people. It's a lot of faithful witnesses who have believed God by faith, who have trusted God by faith, and who have journeyed with God and have run the race. Here's the point by way of illustration. Imagine if, if, if you and me were Olympic athletes about to run a race. We, we look up in the stands as we're about to run the race, and we see other Olympic athletes who have run the same race, and, that, and, and now they are in the stands sitting, surrounding us and rooting for us and cheering us on as we are about to run the same race. They are surrounding us. They are encouragements to us. This is the idea here, saints, that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who are meant to encourage us. To spur us on. These are folks who have believed God by faith, who have journeyed with God, who have run the race and now serve as encouragements to us as we run. One commentator puts it this way, says, these witnesses who watch from the stands are those well qualified to inspire. They bear witness to the faithfulness of God in sustaining them. They are there as encouragers to the present contestants. So may you and I this morning be encouraged that we have examples of those who have run the race. And now as we reflect back, as we think about those who have run the race, they now serve as encouragements to us as we run the race. In the same way that God sustained them and kept them, he would do the same for us as we seek to run the race of the faith. So since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, as the text continues, it says next, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. You see that there? I love how the NLT translation puts it. It says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So if we were running into it to, to kind of, Tease out that illustration a little bit more. If we were running, you wouldn't put a 50-pound weight on your shoulders while you're running, wouldn't you? You wouldn't put any weight on your shoulders as you strive to run. You wouldn't do that. The reason why you wouldn't do that is because it would make you slow. It would, it would hold you down. It would weigh you down and make you heavy and slow. It would prevent you from running the race. That's the idea here, that, that we want to take off anything. We want to put off anything that is holding us back, that is hindering us from running the race well. Now, as I was reading through some different commentaries, scholars debate on the difference, if any, between the words weight and sin uh, in the text, as you see there. Some see it as meaning two separate things. 
Some see sin itself explaining what the weight actually is. So one, the weight will, will hinder you from starting the race or even continuing. The other, sin will, will damage your performance. And that's essentially all that the, the, the quote is really saying is that all in all, we want to throw off everything that will hinder us from running well. We want to throw off, we want to strip off anything that will hinder us from, from running well. So, so Christians, this morning, what weight is holding you down from running the race well? What sin is, is tripping you and I up and causing us to stumble, hindering us from running well and experiencing true freedom and joy uh, in the Lord? Maybe it's the weight of legalism. You're trying to please God with your good works and, and earn his favor, earn salvation when it's been given to you freely as a gift on the basis of Christ and not you. And the beauty of that and the freedom of that this morning is that you don't have to work for salvation. You instead work from your salvation. Jesus has done it all for you. You just have to receive it to rest in that. Or maybe it's the weight of people pleasing. You want people to like you so much that when you feel like someone doesn't, it crushes you. Children, teens, or or college students in the room, maybe this is teased out, people pleasing is teased out from, uh, for you in the form of peer pressure. For you to be liked by your peers or classmates, you let them persuade you into doing something that you know doesn't please the Lord and that your parents wouldn't approve of. Maybe this morning you are struggling with the sin of gossip. You think you're looking out for Susie by sharing something personal on her behalf to another sister or brother. But essentially, you're really gossiping. Or maybe you've been struggling with impure thoughts. And those impure thoughts have been carried out in ways physically and relationally that God doesn't desire. Whatever it is. You fill in the blank, whatever that weight is or whatever that sin is, the idea is that we are to lay it aside, that we are to to put it off. The idea here is to, to throw it off, to strip it off as it's a hindrance to you and me. And as we seek to run the race, it's a hindrance to us. It's like how Paul says here in Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, when he was communicating what believers were known for before meeting Jesus. So he talks about, you know, how, yeah, these ways are not the ways that you've learned Christ. In verse 20, he says, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So at conversion, Christian, you and I, by God's grace, we put off the old self. We put on the new self. But it didn't stop at conversion. 
We are called to continue to put off the old self as we uh, seek to grow more in Christ and know him more and grow in holiness, that this is a continual process of dying to ourselves daily and walking in newness of life. Think about when Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is a daily thing. This is a daily dying to self. The old Josh is always trying to make an appearance. Your old selves are always trying to make an appearance. And for us as Christians, we must crucify him or her. We must crucify the old man. We must put it to death as it's a hindrance to us. As we seek to run the race well, we must continue to put to death the old man with its deceitful desires and pleasures that are in opposition to God and his way that he's called us to live. So that's a hindrance to us. And lastly, we are to run with endurance. We are to run with endurance or how some translations say perseverance. We are to persevere. Look at the end of verse one with me. It says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The idea here is to to not give up, to not give up in the midst of challenging circumstances, to keep pressing, to, to keep running, to run as fast like Forrest Gump, to run as fast as Forrest Gump. Some of you all may have seen the movie, right? Uh, if not, sorry for the spoiler. This is a classic, uh, but this is a is a scene that is a famous scene when, when little Forrest Gump was running away from the bullies, right? He had on leg braces to correct his spine or something along those lines. That, and, and he couldn't walk properly, so he had those braces to help him uh, to walk. But when the bullies came, the little girl uh, in the scene tells him to run. You all could probably hear her voice now in your head. If you've seen the movie, she said, Run, Forrest! And he starts going. He's running. And as he runs, you can hear her in the background continuing to say, Run, Forrest! And as he looks back and he sees the bullies coming, they're inching closer. He keeps running. And as they inch closer, all of a sudden the leg braces start to fall off. They start to fall off and he was gone. Fast like Flash gone, running. Talk about running in the, in the midst of a challenging circumstances, huh? Him running, the leg braces coming off, and he's gone. So we are to, to keep running. To keep running the race, beloved. And as you and I run, we must look to Jesus. We must look to Jesus. Which leads to our second and final point this morning. So run the race, one. Two, look to Jesus. Look back with me at verse two, as the reason says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In a race, you're, you're, you're not, when you're running, you're not looking side by side. You're not, you're not looking behind you. When you're running in a race, you're looking ahead. 
Your gaze is on the finish line. So it is with the Christian. As we run, we are to keep our eyes on Jesus. He is our prize. He is our reward. But he's not only our reward, he's also our motivator as we run. He is our motivator as we run. You look to Jesus in the beginning of the race. And so when you first believed at conversion and you keep looking to Jesus throughout this race, throughout your Christian walk, this looking to Jesus is an active looking. It's a continual looking. We don't take our, we don't put our eyes on him and then take our eyes off. No, we are to keep our eyes fixated on him as we seek to run this race. I like how one transition says, fixing your eyes on Jesus. So we are to fix our eyes on him. So our gaze is to be on him at all times. Now, if we're not careful, we can all lose focus really quick. I mean, just think about it. How often do we take our eyes off Jesus? Even maybe even during worship. Or even before we came here. Or the last few days. How we so easily take our eyes off Christ. We think about it in the middle of a trial. Some of you guys may be going through some hard trials. Different things going on in your personal lives or your family lives. We're so focused on the issue or sometimes we can become so fixated upon whatever that issue is, whatever that trial is, that we take our eyes off Christ. That we can't even see Jesus in the midst of that trial because the trial is so overwhelming. So, so much is happening. It's exhausting. It's overwhelming. It's tough. And I don't want to negate any of those feelings this morning. With so much going on, even in our culture, it can be easily for us to to be more culture-centered than we are Christ-centered. If we're not careful, we're the the culture, we're so bombarded with what's happening in the culture. I'm not saying we shouldn't be in tune to what's happening in the culture. But should it be that we are so fixated upon the culture that we're not as fixated or more fixated upon Christ. We forget that Jesus, who is both divine and human, can then also relate to us in every way. So when we're in the middle of a trial or hard circumstances or challenge or whatever the case may be, we forget when we take our eyes off Christ that with him being divine and human, that he can relate to us in every way. He knows how it feels to be mistreated. And treat it unjustly. He knows what it feels to be tempted by Satan to sin, but not to give in because he's God. He's sinless and perfect. I mean, just listen to verses three through four of this chapter. We're not studying these verses this morning, but just but just listen in. If you look down just a one verse down, it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, have you not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood? So just this idea of, as we run this race of the faith, may we not grow weary or faint-hearted. We have a Savior who experienced 
challenges times 10. He can relate to us. So he is also our motivator. He is our prize, but he's also our motivator as we run this race that we can look to him because he can relate to us in every way. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that, that Jesus is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. It says in Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is Jesus, the God-man, who we are to look to. He is our reward. He is our prize. And he's going to get us home with him if we keep our eyes on him. Keep our minds and our eyes fixated upon him. So if you're here this morning and believer, you've, you've taken your eyes off Jesus, there's grace for you this morning. There, there's grace for you this morning, beloved, that you can set your eyes back on him. He's welcoming you and me to look to him, to receive his mercy, his grace. And that you can look to him and keep running and that he'll help you set your eyes on him and help you run. So we must look to Jesus as we run. And as the text continues, he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Some translations say author in the place of founder. The word means essentially that he's the pioneer, that he is the pioneer, that he is the trailblazer of the faith. The word faith here is meant to describe the whole span of the Christian journey. So he granted believers faith or trust in the gospel, but he is also the pioneer of the former saints like those mentioned in chapter 11. He inspired the Old Testament saints, gave them hope then, but in something better that was to come. He inspired them, but gave them hope in something better that was to come. So he's also the perfecter of our faith. He took the the faith of the Old Testament saints and, and ours today and brought it to completion. Brought it to completion. Just above chapter 12, verse 1, at chapter 11, 39 through 40. Here's what it reads. It says, and all these, referencing all of those who have been commended by the faith, as it says, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So essentially, what Christ has done, as we're about to see, is that he perfected our faith. By doing something that was necessary. And that necessary thing that he did was a necessary work in that he endured the cross. Jesus endured the cross because there was joy set before him, as the text tells us. That this joy that was set before him was the Father's glory. It was was God. The joy that was set before him and he despised the shame. And what's beautiful about this is that if you're here and you're not a Christian, this is the news we want to hold out to you this morning. 
This is the news that we want to hold out to you, that you can find hope in Christ this morning. Agree with the Bible, agree with God that you are a sinner and that you are in need of saving and that you cannot do anything in your own strength to save yourself, but that God has made a way, the only way in Christ for you to find true redemption and salvation in him, in that he has lived the perfect sinless life that you and I can never live. He's died the death that you and I deserve on the cross for our sin. Jesus had no sin for which he had to die for. It was our sin that he was nailed to the cross for. And he went to the cross willingly and willfully to die for you and to die for me. And then he was laid in a grave, but death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't hold him. Sin couldn't hold him. On the third day, he was resurrected from the dead with all power and dominion, offering life, true life to all who would turn away from their sin, repent, to turn away from their sin, to turn away from the things that God hates and to turn to him by faith, by belief in what Christ has done on your behalf, in my behalf. So we want you to receive that this morning. Receive this mercy from a merciful God. Receive his love this morning. Trust in him. Believe upon him by faith. If you'd like to learn more about that, uh, holler at Pastor Nathan and Pastor Joey after the service. I'm sure they would delight in sharing more with you on what that means to follow Christ. Don't delay. May today be the day of salvation for you. May it be today. Don't harden your heart. And for us who who know the Lord, may we be reminded and encouraged by this good news. That as we run the race, as we look to Jesus, that that God is, is he's empowering us. He's strengthening us. He's sustaining us through the gospel so that we might be able to run well, that we might be able to keep going, to keep pressing, to keep persevering when life is hard, when you're still in a pandemic, when you're still dealing with all of life's circumstances and challenges. Jesus is our strength. He is our helper. And we can continue to believe upon him and trust upon him, knowing that he will help us, that he will keep us, that he will sustain us. Amen? Amen. So may we be encouraged by that. May we be motivated by that, motivated by the gospel to run the race well. Lastly, he is seated on the throne. Look at the end of verse 2. It says, and is seated, talking about Jesus, at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is seated on the throne of heaven. He is the son of God, seated at the right hand of God the Father in power. His work is done. He has completed his work. It's like how the author of Hebrews says in another chapter, chapter 10, verses 11 through 14, he says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins, 
But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus has, has completed his work, but he is returning. He is returning for the beloved. He is coming back for the saints. And we long for his return. This is not our home. We should be living out of our suitcases, right? Waiting for an eternal home, an eternal hope in heaven. So may we continuously be reminded of that as we're running the race. And we are running this race, living out of our suitcases awaiting to be with our heavenly father. So you want to know how you keep running the race? This is what the text tells us. You keep looking to Jesus. This is how you keep running the race. You keep looking to Jesus. The moment you stop looking to Jesus, you stop running the race. And you can keep running, not in your own strength, but in Christ's strength, with him being the motivator for why you run. If nothing else has stuck that I've said in the sermon so far, may, may this stick. You keep running because there is joy set before you, Christian. And it's Jesus. He is our joy. and He is awaiting to take us home. He is your joy. He is my joy. And he is our reward now. And when we finish the race by his grace, this life, the troubles of this life, the ups and downs of this life will not compare to the life and to the joy we'll all experience on that day. It's not even in comparison. Not even in comparison. So may we, as we're reminded of this this morning, may we, may we be encouraged. May we find hope. May we find strength to keep pressing, to keep going. A few ways before I close to help us as we think about keeping our eyes on Jesus. Number one, daily communing with him. Daily communing with Jesus. Uh, at our service at 2.30 today, which we'll have a service today at Congress Heights last week, uh, so we're, we're studying the Gospel of Mark, and we were looking at Mark 1, 35-39, and what I was emphasizing in that time was how Jesus prioritized intimacy with the Father. We see that all throughout Jesus' life and ministry, that he prioritized intimacy with the Father. We find Jesus praying. We find Jesus modeling for us, right? And then also him ministering from that dependency upon the Father. And so for us as Christians, we are to daily commune with Jesus. This is, this is one way that we keep our eyes fixated on Jesus, by looking to him, by spending time with him, quality time with him in his word, being renewed in our minds by his word, by praying, by talking to him, and then hearing from him from his word. So daily communing with him is one way that we're going to keep our eyes fixed upon Christ, by looking to him. Number two, preaching the gospel to ourselves, preaching the good news of Christ to ourselves. 
in that believer, we're going to have some times where we mess up, right? We sin. We struggle. But being reminded that Jesus uh, is our advocate before the Father, representing us before the Father, and that we can find forgiveness in him, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins if we confess those sins before him, being quick to confess those sins before him, knowing that he's open arms, welcoming us. He doesn't want us to sin. He's not encouraging us to sin. But in 1 John 2, if and when we do sin, we have an advocate before him. So preaching the good news of Christ to us, being reminded of Christ's sacrifice for us in our place, and that we have true freedom. We have been forgiven of our sin. We've been cleansed. He's removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. So far, he's removed our transgressions from us. So being reminded of what Christ has done. So preaching the gospel to ourselves and then also preaching the gospel to ourselves in that being our motivator. That being our motivator as we run and as we look to Christ. That we're not trying to do that in and of ourselves. We're not trying to do that in and of our own strength. But we're doing that on the strength of another. And that being Christ. And then lastly, the church. The church. The gathered saints. As we're gathering now, as you're gathering week in and week out, you're coming together to look to Jesus. You're coming together to fix your eyes upon Christ. When, when Pastor Nathan preaches or Pastor Joey or, or any other elder, any other pastor preaches, you're, you're, you're coming to, to look to Christ. We're, we're pulling you here so that you can fix your eyes, that you can feast yourself upon Jesus. And this is what the church is for, for us to, to minister the gospel to one another, for us to encourage one another to put our eyes on Christ, to look upon him. So that's why we shouldn't forsake the gathering. The gathering is of importance. We have to gather regularly around God's word, hearing his word preached, hearing his word read, singing his word, praying his word. So when we come together in a gathering like this, that's the idea of we are coming together to encourage one another to put our eyes on Christ. And in your community groups or, or different gatherings throughout the week, the idea is that you are to be encouraging one another to put your eyes on Christ, to keep them there, be encouraging one another to look to him. So lastly, stay encouraged in this race, believer. Stay encouraged, chin up soldiers. Our general is soon to return to take us home. He's coming back. And as we seek to run this race, may we be encouraged and may we be motivated to keep our eyes on Christ. So run the race by looking to Jesus, knowing that Jesus will soon return for his bride. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this morning once again. Thank you for your word, God, I pray. Um, yeah, Lord, that you would encourage us all this morning. Um, no matter how we came in, 
no matter what has happened uh, throughout this week and just the few moments leading up to this time, pray, God, that you would encourage us or that you have encouraged us from your word to run the race and to look, look upon you, to keep our eyes fixed upon you until you bring us home. I pray, God, that during this week, God, as we go into the expected and unexpected of this week, that we will be reminded to keep running well by fixating our eyes upon you. Help us not to take our eyes off you. Help us to keep them on you, to delight in you, to rest upon you, to trust and depend upon you for everything. And I pray, God, if anyone here is is trying to do it in and of themselves, trying to do it in their own strength, Lord, would you humble them this morning? Humble them in Christ. Show them that they can't do it apart from you. John 15, that we, we can't do anything apart from you. We need you. And we need one another. We need the, the community of the saints. So God, I pray that you would encourage us and keep us, sustain us as we continue to run this race, Lord. Do that and much more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.